Ladies and gentlemen and Corner Kick fam, welcome back to the Corner Kick podcast. We are returning after a brief hiatus to bring you some good international break content. We know, you know, soccer is just a bit all over the place right now, literally all over the world. We have plenty of things to discuss. A lot of (laughs) this might be like the Corner Kick subtitle, International Incidents podcast. Yeah, because we certainly have a lot of uh, international intrigue to break down on this one. So we're going to discuss a lot of international break related things. The USA's opening few games of World Cup qualifying. We're going to touch on the Argentina-Brazil situation. You know, the really intense, scary, honestly, situation that happened over the weekend in that fixture. We're going to discuss some AFCON related things. uh, Nabi Keita and Guinea related incidents. Um, and as well as just, you know, some general conversation about the state of international breaks right now, because I'm sure uh, especially Caleb Rhodes has some thoughts on those. And then, you know, we're going to dive into some transfer stuff that we missed because I know we we wanted to record that like oh so special transfer deadline day pod. But we were all our schedules were a bit all over the place. But we are back now. And just to let you know that we are back now, I am joined by a man who was not singing O Canada at the top of his lungs yesterday. It was Nathan Strauss. That is true, but you know my opinion on O Canada. It's one of the best national anthems of all time, especially, oh, with, especially with the more recent uh, like gender-inclusive changes to the lyrics. I actually volunteered to sing O Canada at my job this summer um, when we had Canadian Heritage Day, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> did we have? Wait, did you end up singing it or no? No, I did not. We ended up canceling Canadian Heritage Day. Oh no! Wait, cancel it. Wait, what? Oh, we had to, we had to do some last minute promotional schedule changes. But trust me, if you ever need someone to sing O Canada at the top of their lungs, so I am absolutely your mind. Yeah. Wait, and do you only do that because you were a Toronto Blue Jays affiliate? Well, yeah, but also Manchester, the Manchester and New Hampshire has a huge population of like French Canadian expats. So that's why the the road signs are also in kilometers there. And like poutine is like served at like every restaurant. So so I have a question. What, what, um, so Canada Day got the shaft. What were like some other ideas that like did not get the shaft very briefly? Like what what was ranked over Canada Heritage? Well, Day? so another idea that did get the shaft was we had Dr. Fauci Appreciation Night, but that was <laughs> deemed to be too political uh, because we're the, we were the Fisher Cats and we were going to rebrand as the Fauci Cats. But oh, that's, that got that's the shaft. Good. That's a good yeah, one. it was good, right? I liked that. Um, but some of the other ones that we did is we did an Alex Trebek Tribute Night where we played like different Jeopardy or like different Trebek. Uh, like games throughout the whole night. We obviously have the, the classics like Wizarding World Night because we can't say Harry Potter for because we don't want to have to pay. Um, and like uh, Comic Con Night, uh, we had 603 Day on June 3rd because the New Hampshire area code is 603. Yep. So there are plenty of good ideas um, and maybe too many good ideas to actually fit, fit them all into one schedule. Well, I know someone who <laughs> is not coming up with several different themed related nights you know in his life right now it is caleb Rhodes. you know unless you are caleb unless like every night of the week for you is you know a different theme night i don't know if you're that kind of guy though you know with consulting every night is kind of a different theme night so wow, that's very ominous <laughs> no i just mean we work for different companies no, you yeah, know yeah yeah that's a different okay. different vibe well, lads, shall we uh, get into this kind of what has turned out to be like a very hectic international break, a very newsworthy international break. And I think there's no better place to start, Nathan, than in South America with the wild headlines coming out of Argentina, Brazil right now. Argentina and Brazil, I should say. Yeah, this is just I feel like every every continental soccer uh, agency is just trying to find ways to like outdo each other, uh, especially in this window. So this case really demonstrates a lot of the inefficiencies with FIFA and sort of global soccer governance that we've talked about 
really since COVID began. But basically, Argentina and Brazil playing in arguably the oldest rivalry in in, in the soccer world uh, as part of an incredibly tricky Common Bowl, uh, you know, World Cup qualifying. The game gets suspended 24 minutes in uh, because Anvisa, Brazil's immigration agency, police officers have stormed the pitch in order to forcibly detain and then deport four different players on Argentina who lied and falsified their status about having been in a country, England, that has travel restrictions. All in all, very weird scenes. Um, and this whole just, it, it's just wacky, right? Like it's, these are two of the highest profile soccer nations out there with players from the highest profile league in the world who obviously had to lie in order to get into the country. Cause you can just literally do the math between when Aston Villa's last game was and when Emmy Martinez, you know, arrived in Brazil. So really weird stuff happening down in South America. So wait, can you guys clear up some confusion that I had? So I thought that La Liga and the Premier League decided not to send players to like to release them to South American teams because of these travel restrictions. Did that just not happen? I think it was specific nations. Yes. So I know a lot of the players ended up go a lot of the players from England went to Austria to train so they could leave Austria for the Argentina camp, like Christian Romero. I see, I see. Yeah. So they went to like an intermediate location first. Mm-hmm. There's like certain like red list countries on the Premier League. It's not actually like an official Premier League thing. Like mm-hmm. all of the 20 clubs banded together and like came up with these sort of, um, I think kind of nebulous rules and regulations, which are still, I think, should be, you know, the case. And we'll get on to, you know, whether or not we even should be having, you know, a proper international break, which I feel like is a bit of deja vu to a podcast that we did at this time last year. <laughs> where we asked a similar question but yeah i mean nathan this is unlike anything that i've seen on a soccer field Uh, and it it kind of casts my mind back to you know when we learned that argentina was no longer going to host the copa america Mm. and comitable gave the tournament to you know a perfectly covid safe nation Mm, in brazil Mm -hmm. you know obviously under the thumb of yair bolsonaro and this to me felt like another, you know, very clear political statement from from Bolsonaro. He has used the Brazil national team to sort of prop up his agenda in the past. And you're like, what better way for, you know, the Brazil government to look good here than, you know, run onto the field and kind of forcibly remove. I don't want to say forcibly. It looked like, you know, they were just kind of talked to and then the game was halted you know Messi was involved the Argentina captain and speaking to the four health department officials but it was all like very theatrical this is very much something that could have been done you know before the game or when the players arrived um, to the stadium so I don't know there was there is elements of this that seemed very much like political theater as well as you know actually being a, a health concern at the same time well yeah it's really interesting because and Visa, the health ministry group that, you know, sent their officers to detain the players actually went against the wishes of the government because the Argentinian Football Association had actually negotiated a way for this match to take place. Um, and Brazil's federal government had actually like acquiesced. So obviously under the, the rule of Bolsonaro. And then once the officers, you know, arrived on the field and the match was, the match was disrupted, Argentine players locked themselves in the locker room to avoid going into custody. So it's very weird. And again, it just demonstrates how many different agencies, I guess, are at work and none of them have the best interests of the players in mind, I guess. So um, they're going to have to end up squeezing this game in, in another international break where these teams are already playing, you know, three matches in the span of what, 12 or 13 days. Uh, And given how difficult and competitive particularly common bowl qualification is uh, it could just have very interesting effects, I guess, on the the final table, but all in all, it's not a good look for anyone involved. It's not a good look for the players involved. It's not a good look for Brazil or the AFA. Um, And it's not a great look for FIFA either. Well, and these problems probably aren't going to go away, right? Like at the next international break, there's still going to be an issue 
where there isn't really enough time for these players to meet the quarantine requirements. And so I think this is just going to continue to be a persistent problem in, in internationals. And I think this is tough for, for teams as well, because aren't some players when they come back might miss, you know, the games in England this weekend because they didn't come back early enough. Like this whole thing is a mess given the constant changing COVID regulations, um, which in a lot of ways don't make very much sense. But yeah, this is just a very odd situation. Yeah, I mean, we will keep tabs on this as it develops. And there's a bunch of great material out there that I've been reading, you know, as the story has been developing. So I think we're going to, like Caleb said, this is not going to be the last time that we talk about a situation like this. But it was certainly kind of like something that I had never, you know, seen before in mass market soccer. You know, it's kind of a, a crazy scene. But speaking of other crazy scenes, Nathan, why don't you take us to Africa to discuss, you know, one of my, uh, <laughs> one of Liverpool football club's players in Nabi Keita. So again, this is just so weird. And if Common Bowl wasn't doing their bit to, to grab headlines, AFCON uh, was going to fill that void. So Guinea's military, uh, Guinea and nation, I mean, West to Africa. To be fair, I don't think this is entirely on AFCON. <laughs> no, it's not. A, it's not on AFCON. No, oh, no, no, no. It's absolutely not on AFCON. But what I mean is that it's an AFCON centric story. Yes, yes. So Guinea's military uh, has declared a coup after they stormed the president's <laughs> palace and took him into custody. This is not funny. Basically, by the way. it's not funny. But it's so weird that it has become we ha- we can we have nothing but to do but we, laugh. We, it's one of those things where it's like you can't believe that you're actually discussing it on like a soccer podcast. But like this is the game, you know. Exactly. So Morocco and Guinea were underway, I think, in yes. the middle yes. of a in the middle of a game. World Cup qualifier. Um, and these are two high profile teams when it comes to African football. You know, obviously Morocco without Hakim Ziyech, but with, you know, they are one of the favorites, I think, to make it to the World Cup in, in 2022. And Guinea have, you know, Premier League quality players, particularly Liverpool's Nabi Keita. And all of a sudden, a coup actually forced the match to stop and then has basically shut down all kinds of travel um, and most, I guess, facets of daily life. So now there are questions about whether Nabi Keita is going to even be able to make it back to England. Uh, The Moroccan team had to be, I think, basically like snuck out of the country to get back to Rabat. Uh, So all in all, more weird yet. Was yeah. more weird well, and concerning statements. Yeah, well, around. the Moroccan the Moroccan embassy basically negotiated a departure for the team, but there were gunshots from this coup, literally like outside of the hotel that the Moroccan team was staying in. And now there's videos of once the plane finally took off, like all the Moroccan players burst into like the song and sang the national anthem of Morocco as they were like departing Canarchy. Uh, which is another banger, by the way, if you're looking at national anthems, but keep going. Yeah. And so, like, <laughs> Hakimi is, like, tweeting, like, thank you for all the messages and support. It's been a very intense day, but thank God we are <laughs> safe and sound in Morocco. Good night. Alhamdulillah. It's been right? a like, very intense day. That's, wait, actually, like that's a bit of an understatement. No, you should really see. It's literally just a selfie, like a grady selfie of Hakimi doing, like, the peace side. And he's like, oh, I escaped a military coup this afternoon. But... Yeah. And more complications as well as the Ministry of Defense is denying that the coup actually took place. Of course. So the military has claimed that they have seized power. Um, but uh, President Alpha Conde has allegedly just stayed in power. So, again, no one really knows. Glad that the team got out safely. Uh, but, yeah, more uh, more fracas, I guess, in the, the world of international soccer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is not you know a COVID centric issue, so we can't really. I feel like there's it's a totally different discussion from yes. from the previous conversation about Correct. Brazil Argentina. Like, yes. but this is just one of those things where it's like, it is, you know, a constant reminder that like this is very much a global sport. You know, it is all encompassing in like every facet of life. You know, including you know like a very high profile player, Nabi Keita, who has, you know, started the season relatively well with Liverpool and, you know, is now going to be 
you know, missing his job essentially because of, you know, a safety concern of whether or not he'll be able to, you know, leave his home nation and return to his place of work. So, you know, I hope he's safe. I hope the entire, you know, Guinea team is safe and whatever, you know, else goes on there is, yeah, I mean, it's just another insane situation. I just can't even believe that we're <laughs> even, you know, discussing it on a soccer podcast. We're turning into corner kick cable news. Yeah. Well, can CKCN. you imagine? Yeah. Can you imagine the Liverpool person who's like on the phone with the authorities in Guinea right it's, now? It's Klopp. You think it's Klopp? I mean, Liverpool released a statement. Yes. We are satisfied that he is safe and well. Obviously, the situation is fluid and we will maintain regular dialogue with the relevant authorities as we work to get Nabi back to Liverpool. Okay, here's my question. Like, where did Liverpool have the phone number for, like, the relevant authorities in Guinea? I mean, Uh, when you have powerful investors in in VC, you know that, like, you know that they have connections. Like, they're a club that's worth X billion dollars. Like, surely they can find, like, the the Ministry of Defense for Guinea's, like, contact person, you know? I'm just imagining them, like, shooting a Twitter DM to, like, (laughs) at Guinea. Good Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Do they they have a Twitter? They have, I mean, surely, right? They have to. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's worth... It's, like, one of those things where they can, like, get in touch with the Premier League and the Premier League can contact the government. And like the English government rather, and then like the English government can kind of facilitate those conversations potentially. Yeah. And I mean, it's worth pointing out that there are, you know, players in the, or it's not just, you know, Navi Kaita yes, yes. who's, who's stuck there. There's like a huge amount of the squad plays in like France at various levels and is stuck there too. So this is a, an issue that goes far beyond just, just Liverpool, uh, so I guess all we can say is we hope for the safety and, and safe return of the players. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's all we can really say. Yeah. But, but we just felt like it was, I don't know, man. It's just, it, it's a glo- I mean, I don't even know. All right. Nathan. Welcome to the 2020s, I guess. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's been a doozy. Game postponed due to military coup. That's a... It's a new one. Does football manager have to add that as like a, a I think thing? They might. <laughs> uh, no, it's gonna be that's gonna be the second edition next to women's football. Yeah, yeah they've added like football and then like military coup. Football manager like, extreme. Like, well, health, they didn't add health COVID. officials running onto the field. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, yeah. Well, it should be. It should just be like a very low probability event, but it like could happen. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But like no one plays full manager to manage national teams, anyways. But that's beside the point. Do you want to talk about no? But if your player years? got stuck, oh yeah, like Bukayo <laughs> 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 Osaka has been forcibly detained by like the Albanian embassy. But imagine if it was unavailable like, for like fourteen days until yeah, like, yeah. Well, I'm just imagining like an alert where it's like in France the Third Republic falls and like Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> You know Napole- what Napoleon the Seventh has declared himself emperor again. <laughs> you know what I hope they put in the game? <laughs> Remember when Adil Rami got released from France, or not released from France? Got released from Marseille because he went on like that game show <laughs> and like lied to the coaching staff about like going on the game show and missing time. I hope like that gets it put into football manager. Like a player like disappears mysteriously for several days, and it turns out they're on some like game show and you have to like cut them and you have to have like a scripted conversation with them in game yeah that's the content i want yeah on a more on a more footballing level should we talk about ziech a little bit because we're already on the issue of morocco or do we, yes. we just move on apparently he's a bit of a, a, a drama not, queen you know, yeah a bit yeah. of a problematic figure yeah so i mean hakeem ziech you know made the what was it 40 million odd transfer from ix to chelsea last year where he was mostly injured and, and in general didn't impress. And I think it's safe to say he's a bit on the outside looking in of the attacking options of the squad right now. And he got sent home from the Morocco team for essentially not showing any effort at all. Um, what, what does this mean for his Chelsea career? I mean, it's a bit of a bummer because, I mean, first of all, I think like going way back to before he joined Chelsea, like Hakim Ziyech is not like a young prospect, right? He's like 28, 29 years old. And I think before the Chelsea move happened, we were always wondering like, how come Ziyech like isn't attracting 
offers from other clubs. You know, there was rumored interest from Sevilla, but like that never materialized. But other than that, it just kind of looked like he was going to be an Ajax player until Chelsea swooped in and made the move. And I guess like now we know why that is, is because his temperament is not, you know, particularly great. Like he's not a team player, it looks like, or it sounds like, at least from this report that came out from The Athletic. And, and I mean, like it's very much a worry because it doesn't look like Thomas Tuchel suffers many fools at Chelsea. And he looks like he, you know, is all about the collaboration and, you know, the team play and the organization. And if Ziyech can't get on board with that, then I don't know. But to that same token, he did start the uh, UEFA Super Cup and did score. So, mm. you know, maybe there is still potential for him to succeed at Chelsea, but who knows? Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to have his chances, right? Because Chelsea just, they played too many matches for him not to get a look in. Um, and because he can play at three positions, I, I'm sure he'll get a chance. But it he's had, I don't want to say attitude issues, because in the Dutch press when he was at Ajax, there was a lot of, I guess, racial bias against him and, and people would call him lazy. Um, but this is, it's kind of a ridiculous statement to to be released by a national team manager when arguably the player that you're dropping is the best player in your squad uh, or should be the best player in your squad at the very least. So hopefully he can, you know, buckle down and, and Tuchel will give him more playing time, but there's going to be so much congestion um, in that fight for places in that Chelsea team. So we shall see. We shall see. Moving on. <laughs> so we'll take it to you, USA. Yeah. I mean, why don't we talk about another player who was dropped in, in Team USA while we're, uh, while we're talking about various national team and COVID rules and, and other drama? Uh, I think we were all surprised last night looking at the lineups when they were released, noting that Weston McKinney was not in the starting 11 for Team USA's biggest test of this World Cup qualifying window so far at home in Nashville with the legendary Nick Kavinden in attendance, but no Weston McKinney who was dropped from the squad rather because he stayed behind to sign pictures for fans without a mask, which is obviously verboten at this time. Um, And yeah, really team USA desperately, the USMNT desperately needed him last night, I think. I would agree. Yeah, as Nathan said, I was there in Nashville at Nissan Stadium for USA versus Canada last night. It was a good time. It was a tremendous atmosphere. It was crazy to be back in an environment like that. Um, But yes, I think first on Weston McKinney, the disappointing thing is that this is not the first time that he has breached COVID protocols in like the past few months. You know, it was the case when he was at Juventus as well. And, you know, he was having like parties and things. Well, it was the party at Dibbola's house, Yeah, right? the party, hashtag Dibbola house party, uh, 2K21. And that, that was the first instance of McKinney, you know, breaching COVID protocols. And so to see it happen with the national team is almost like doubly disappointing. But yeah, I mean, I was definitely surprised to not see him involved, but then, you know, subsequently learning why, you know, it's it's upsetting. But they definitely needed him. They needed a, another runner into the box from midfield. They needed a little bit more of a physical presence in there. But I think this followed, you know, this is a bit more tame, certainly, than the game away against El Salvador, which is a nil-nil draw. This was a 1-1 draw, so they did manage to get on the score sheet here. Brendan Aronson uh, scoring a great, you know, well-worked goal. But that was really the only time the USA threatened dangerously, I would say, the entire game. They had a few deflections that the Canada keeper had to save. But really, for most of the time, it was just them trying to work the ball um, through you know the half spaces and through the wings, they couldn't really penetrate Canada through the middle, and Canada would just break with Alfonso Davies. Who just let me say, if you ever get the chance to watch Alfonso Davies live, please, please take it. The man is just an incredible, incredible player. And if this is what he looks like at the age of twenty twenty one, I just can't imagine what he's going to develop into. You know, when he's twenty six, twenty seven, because he is like. He, for me, was the most electric player on the pitch, even like with Christian Pulisic lining up, you know, on the opposite team. But I think Canada, you know, the the big takeaway that I had was that Canada, they are for real. Like this is a very, very competitive team in the CONCACAF sphere. They have tremendous organization. 
they have some players like Jonathan David coming off the bench who can really cause a team like the U.S. a lot of trouble. And even, you know, Kyle Lahren, who, you know, wasn't impressive for the majority of the game, you know, is there at the right place at the right time in order to, you know, score an important goal for them. So it was a disappointing day for the U.S., especially in front of a ravenous crowd in Nashville, a crowd that really wanted to see them get all three points that, you know, I think this is the most invested I have ever seen, you know, a U.S. supporting soccer crowd, you know, as they were chanting all of the names of the players. It looked like a very informed soccer crowd too, you know, begging for Josh Sargent to come on, you know, and I think, you know, when Sargent did come on, it was just like a little too little too late, but I think Burhalter will definitely be scratching his bald head after this, you know, kind of wondering how he didn't get the three points. But to me, you know, it was a great occasion to be there at the game, but certainly, you know, a disappointing result. And I think they really need to find a way to break teams like these down. Yeah, I mean, so first of all, I think you're right. I think this is the best Canada team that we've seen in our lifetime by far. You know, Alfonso Davies is up there, I think, with Pulisic when it comes to who is the best male player in North America right now or from North America right now. Uh, And the fact that he is so young and so dynamic and because of how Canada play, he basically just has license to play as a winger, which I think is a better position for him than left back. Uh, he's so dangerous. He's such a great dribbler. And because they're playing a 3-4-3, he doesn't need to necessarily provide tons of end product because he has, you know, at least two runners alongside him at any given time. So this let is me a- just say, let me just say, and I, I like Serginho Dest and I felt bad when he had to come <laughs> off injured. He like actually walked right by me and like looked me in the eyes. And I was like, oh man, this man is, you know, very disappointed about coming off injured. But uh, Alfonso Days is out the floor. Alfonso Davies was putting Serginho Test on skates in this game. It was like insane to see, you know, I don't want to say like the golf in class, but just like how good Alfonso Davies has gotten by playing, yeah. you know, at Bayern Munich at like a, the highest level possible. And it's not just Davies too. You think about, um, you know, the, the position that the United States I think is weaker at than any other position is striker. And yeah. Canada have 21-year-old Jonathan David, who didn't even start yesterday. And David, at 21 years old, would be the best striker on Team USA by far. And David, by the way, actually born in the United States. So take that, USA. But, um, you know, this Canada team is, I think, deeper than normal. They do have some players like Atiba Hutchinson, who's been around, like, literally forever. Like, he's yeah. 38 years old and has been playing. Oh he's played over 300 games for Besiktas. Um, and obviously, Milan Borjan, who we saw or I saw as an Arsenal fan a couple of times um, playing for Red Star uh, in the Europa League and all of that. But I think there are really big issues for Team USA, for USA, about scoring goals. You know, they yeah. only scored four goals in the last four games of the Gold Cup. They had four 1 0 wins against Canada, Jamaica, Qatar, and Mexico. Can't believe I just said that sentence. But. Um, you know, failing to score against El Salvador and not just failing to score, but really failing to create. I mean, they only had 13 shots at El Salvador um, with just two shots on target. And then yesterday against Canada, again, they just could not break down a Canadian team that only had 28% possession. Again, two shots on target, four shots on target over two games against, you know, a team that should have been beatable. I think it's acceptable for one of those teams, for one of those games to be a draw. You know, playing at Honduras, I think, is tricky. Um, but playing against Canada at home, I think they needed to win. And I think they desperately, desperately need to win this upcoming game against Honduras, uh, you know, in Tegucigalpa, where, um, you know, they need to have five points coming out of these three games and remain unbeaten at the very least. Otherwise, you know, Mexico is just going to walk this group. And then Panama and Canada, the two teams that are ahead of them right now, are going to have, you know, this huge advantage over the U.S. And I think Greg Berhalter's seat got considerably hotter after yesterday's uh, result. So who, who do we think is, the, like, going to be the solution at strike here? I mean, we've seen Sibachu now, who's, like, 25 years old, is moderately prolific in the Swiss League, but has struggled up front. We have Josh Sargent, who, you know, plays in the Prem now but has never really, I think, been relied upon for Team USA. Then you have, you know, some of the more traditional MLS-based players. Like, who, who is the guy that's going to be leading the line through well, qualification and into the World Cup? I would love to see Ricardo Pepe. Um, I know it's 
I don't think we can rely on him as like quote unquote the guy, but like as an 18 year old, he has 11 goals in the first 15 games of the MLS season. He just made the huge choice to commit to team USA rather than Mexico. Um, and he is maybe the most highly sought after youngster in MLS right now. I'd love to see him get a shot. Otherwise, I just think you have to commit to someone like Sargent, you know, like just because there are these players like Jordan Pefok or also known as Sibachu, et cetera, who are like 25 years old and playing in Europe, it doesn't make them good, you know? And that's been, that's been, I think the problem for team USA going all the way back to the Klinsman days where, Mm -hmm. you know, just because there are players who are in their prime and playing in Europe, remember Aaron Johansson? Like it's the same, it's the, it's the same stuff, right? Bobby Wood. Or Bobby Wood or even Bobby Wood, right? Who like these players who will peak with like an eight goal performance in the Bundesliga or something like that. And I would much rather commit to younger talents who are going to work their way abroad, like in the same way that Canada committed to guys like David and Alfonso Davies from the age of 18, or the same way uh, Bruce Arena brought through Christian Pulisic a couple of years ago. Like, I would like to see a little bit more of an emphasis on on growth and development, uh, because I think it could be mutually beneficial, and it would it would mean that players are getting experience, but also having a chance to to maybe provide something different than what a lumbering Josh Sargent does. I mean, for me, I, I thought Sargent made a huge impact yesterday, but that's just because we didn't really have anyone who was willing to run and make a late run into the box. And, you know, the second Sargent came on, he was, you know, operating a bit deeper than PFOC and, you know, providing a bit more of an option for Pulisic who was drifting inside. But yeah, I'm not really, I don't really know. I don't, what, what's the status with Daryl DK? Cause I, yeah, I remember he really impressed in his first few USMNT performances. Yeah. Don't I think laugh. he's another, don't I, laugh. Think, I know Caleb was laughing over there. No, I think, I think he's another one. I think allegedly Burhalter is looking for a way to bring him into the squad um, because of how many players they've had to uh, lose out on because of injury. Like, I also don't think the worst idea in the world is trying a combination of, of Reyna and Pulisic as a false nine. But against these teams that are going to sit back and, and, you know, park the bus with, with a back eight or a back nine, like the majority of teams aside from Mexico and Costa Rica are going to do, you do need some kind of holdup play. You need someone who's going to make runs. And I was not exactly overwhelmed with the ability for the midfield yesterday to find those runs. Like Kellen Acosta is a very good MLS midfielder. Um, but hmm. he can't. He's not the guy who I want making those darting runs. And Tyler yeah, Adams I mean, was. I thought Tyler Adams was really good, and he was also probably the man of the match for Team USA uh, for the USA on Wednesday night. But he was not the guy. You know, he was not the guy last night either. So yeah, Acosta and Lejet were else. dire last night. <laughs> he really were. It was awful. And wait, and just one last point. Like Desk, you mentioned how bad he was defensively, but. What it basically means is that the U.S. is is trying to just feed him and let him dribble, but when he when those dribbles aren't coming off, and I think he was something like zero for four on on duels yesterday and on dribbles, it means that the U.S. is basically defending with a back three because he's so far up the pitch. So either the U.S. needs to go to a back three to let guys like Robinson and Dest get forward, or Dest needs to play as a winger or something because it's such mm-hmm. a liability. Yeah, where where was Josie Altador? In in this, like he's not in the squad for these games. Like, what's yeah, up? Yeah, I guess the era of Josie is like well and truly over. And I'm not sure. I think it's come a bit prematurely, to be honest. Especially since we don't have like an actual, you know. Well, he's been injured. He's out for two months. Oh, uh, would okay. he have been, so would it, yeah. he have been called up though? That's the real question. I doubt. I mean, I, he's he's burned so many bridges. Mm. But I just feel like you know, in the absence of like a truly good young striker. You kind of have to look to your Jossies and your Josies, right? Well, yeah, and even like Jossie and Burhalter have like a very, very close relationship. Yeah, because he managed him yeah. at LA Galaxy, right? And you know, he did score in the Gold Cup, you know, a very important goal. So I think, I think there still needs to be a bit some of this integration between you know, like the old. I don't want to call them like the old heads of mm. the USMNT because it's not really you know it's recent history. It's not like ancient history. But definitely, yeah. you know, the Jossie's artists, the Josie Altidores, um, those kind of players. I think the only really carryover from that era is John Brooks, who was, you know, tremendous and always yeah. is very consistent. But I think 
yes, like we need to develop, as Nathan said, like the development needs to be, there needs to be a trusting in the, in the process of developing players like Josh Sargent, like Giorena, you know, like McKinney, if he can get his shit together um, mm-hmm. in this team and in this Berhalter system. But I also think, you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is like, we needed three points yesterday. And, you know, like what could have been if, you know, a Jossi Zardes could have come on off, come off the bench. Like, even if he's not as familiar with the European guys as, you know, he would be with the MLS contingent. Yeah, no, I think that's the point. Like, this is a very young US team and all of the attacking players are 22 or younger, except for Sabaichu in this. And I think what we're going to need to see is like, how, how does he bring together his like gold cup squad and his, what was that tournament at the beginning of the summer? The CONCACAF. The Nations League. Nations yeah. League. Oh, yes, that. Like, how does he integrate those two squads, which tended to be like a more experienced and a more youthful team into like the actual best units? Because I think what's missing here is perhaps a sense that like the U.S. needs to perform like in national teams, especially considering, you know, we missed the World Cup the last time. We don't have the luxury of like trying stuff out. We just need to score goals and, and win at the end of the day. And I think there might be a little bit of naivete in regards to that in the current squad construction. But yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Should we shift focus, shift foci rather to uh, club football? Yeah, let's cover some some stories in club football that we didn't get the chance to cover last week. Particularly, I think there's one that stands out, you know, and it's someone you may have heard of. Takahiro Tomiyasu. Yeah, Takahiro Tomiyasu, highly rated Bologna defender going to Arsenal. No, no, no. Of course, it is Cristiano Ronaldo making the move from Turin to Manchester to return to Manchester United. Yes, CR7 is back in the Premier League. I think much to the three of our chagrins. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. This is. I think this is very... I don't want to call it like an anti-Ronaldo podcast, but I think this is like... No, it is. You, no, I think it, I think it is. <laughs> I think this is as close as you're going to get to like an anti-Ronaldo podcast on the internet. So, you know, if you're coming here for like effusive praise of you know Cristiano Ronaldo being back in the Premier League you know I don't know go you know, there's plenty of other places where you can find that it won't be here I'm not particularly happy about this uh mm-hmm. for a multitude of reasons you know some fandom related you know some of, of them are like personal grievances that I have you know with Cristiano Ronaldo and you know some some things that you know have come out about him in the past that I think need to be resolved but um but yeah, Caleb, I think you know mm. you're someone who has despised this man for about the better part of a decade. You know, what's your take on Ronaldo being back at the Premier League? I think I think it's very interesting. Um, I'm I'm really curious to know exactly like what the full behind the scenes story is with you know the negotiations with Manchester City. Um, I don't know if that was a bit of a smokescreen as he was using that as like leverage. With Man U, it was very clear he wanted out of Juventus. But I think this is probably a nice way for him to end his European career. So I give him that. I do think, though, it means that Manchester United simply need to perform now. Like, this is the worst thing for Ole's job security of all time. Because... No, he's on a ticking, ticking timer right now. Yeah. And you have to wonder, like, what is... Like, I think they have to view themselves as they need to win the Premier League this year. And I'm just still not sure they're going to. I mean, Ronaldo had 29 Serie A goals last year. Clearly, he's still prolific. But even that only dragged Juventus to fifth. And I think there is a sense that a lot of his production doesn't actually translate into, like, points necessarily. And so I think there is... I mean, we'll, we'll see once this international break is over. But I think it is a bit of an open question how he'll integrate. I expect he'll score goals, but I don't know how much of like a material difference it'll make on the actual results of this team. I don't know if that makes sense. No, I think you're right. And that's because 
there is a little bit of so it's not a Ewing effect, but I would call it like the Lakers effect. So right now the Lakers have just gone up and signed like every available like X all-star forward. Um, and what's going to happen is all of these players are going to see their numbers like drastically decrease because there's not going to be enough spacing for all of them to have success. Ronaldo in the last two years at Juve and courtesy of football reference, all of these stats, by the way, because I have them up now his shot creating actions are actually fairly minimal. He shoots in volume, but does not necessarily um, create the best opportunities for himself. And as the focal point for a Juventus team that played a 4-4-2 last year and really struggled to create goals from open play, he wound up putting up pretty impressive numbers. You know, he was averaging basically one goal per 90 minutes. Um, a fair number of those are penalties. Uh, he was six of his 29 goals were penalties, but I don't know how he meshes and particularly his style of play as a 36 year old meshes with someone like Bruno Fernandes and obviously mm. they're international teammates. And so they have camaraderie there, but you think about Fernandes and, and his stats are largely volume based and not necessarily quality based. Like obviously he's a fantastic player, but if he's not the one pulling the strings and if he's not the one taking the shots and converting from set pieces, his numbers look incredibly different. And how does, you know, how does that play style of Ronaldo mesh with true wingers like Sancho? What does this mean for a guy like Greenwood, who I think has started off brightly and, you know, needs this season for his development? And obviously, what does it mean for Edinson Cavani, who basically now has to go to being the third choice option up top after renewing his contract in the last couple of days? So, and he I, gave up his number. Yeah. So I am less bullish on this transfer than I guess the entire like internet and soccer sphere, because obviously I don't like Ronaldo, but I also don't think he is as good as his past numbers would suggest. So it's going to be really interesting to see how he performs or if he can perform uh, in the next couple of weeks, I guess. Who takes the penalties for this team now? Ronaldo. Ronaldo. Okay. Ronaldo takes the penalties. Come okay. on, man. No, I mean, I know, but I, I, the question had to be posed. No, absolutely, yeah. Listen, I, I think this is going one of two ways for United. One is that they do extremely well this season. You know, they might not win. Um, I don't think they're the best team in Europe, even with the addition of Cristiano Ronaldo. I don't think they'll win the Champions League. You know, they might get farther in Europe, but I think the Champions League is a place where they've really fallen flat on their face in the last couple seasons. I do think they will contend for the Premier League, you know, at certain periods this season. However, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo cannot play defensive midfield. That is uh that is just a fact. And so there is still a big gaping hole in the middle of Manchester United's team that they'll need to fill somewhat. And yes, like the strength of this United team is their play on the counterattack. How does a 36-year-old Cristiano Ronaldo fit into that equation? And I think, like Nathan indicated, whose minutes does he have to eat into in order to kind of facilitate the play in a way that suits him? You know, is it someone like Mason Greenwood? Is it someone like Jaden Sancho who's not had the greatest of starts in a Manchester United kit? The other thing to consider is that now there are a ton of egos in that Manchester United dressing room, big, big personalities like the days of old. And there is no Sir Alex Ferguson in that dressing room to manage them. It well, is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer whose job before taking over at Manchester United was managing Molde in Norway, where I can't imagine there was like a ton of, you know, really crazy personalities and egos and well-known players and things like that, even though he did manage Erling Holland when he was a kid, but he was certainly not the Erling Holland we know today. And that, not only is it like a huge pressure cooker now for Ole to get the job done and win some silverware this season, but this is like a huge test, both for Ole, the tactician, which, you know, we're all skeptical about still, but mm -hmm. also Ole, the man manager, which I think we, could, we can say like up to this point has been his strength, but it's been with like a younger set of players. Now he's got like the Rafael Varans, Cristiano Ronaldo's, Paul Pogba's, Bruno Fernandes, Edinson Cavani, all under one roof. And how do you manage that, you know, with Marcus Rashford still to come back from injury, with the Jaden Sancho being thrown into the equation, Jaden Sancho, who's like only 21 years old. So there's a lot of questions to be asked still, I think, in my opinion, and even more so being posed 
by the introduction of Ronaldo, who don't get me wrong, like will score goals. Like he will score goals and it will be good for Premier League viewership and all of those things and whatever. But I'm not sure this was, you know, and of course, Manchester United were always going to make this signing. They were always going to bring Ronaldo back. But was it in, you know, the best interests of the team? And, you know, was it just like an opportunity that they had to take in the year of like neglecting that DM spot, you know? Well, I also think it's important that we talk a little bit about how fast this transfer came to be. Because I went to bed the night before the window closed and I was thinking that he was going to go to City. You know, all of the talk was that Ronaldo was going to go to City for 15 million. And that was just going to be the end of things because they were the only club interested in. And then all of a sudden we wake up and within the span of 30 minutes, Fabrizio Romano was tweeting, oh, like Ronaldo to Manchester, here we go soon. And then United are putting out the official statement. And, you know, it's it, it was so sudden. And apparently it all came from a conversation that Ronaldo had with Ferguson. But um, and like Rio Ferdinand and Gary yeah. Neville and all like those guys. So yeah, Rooney. I do think it's a bit of a revenue move from United because, you know, they're only paying 30 million over the course of the next five years. Um, well, it's also and like, let's not, let's United are also the only here. club that pay dividends to their shareholders of the, of the entire Premier League. Well, so. Nathan, 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 I think above all of that, I think it's, can you imagine the hit to like the legacy of Manchester United? It would have been if like one of their greatest ever players, you know, you can make the case that like the greatest player they've ever had in like the modern era of soccer, just like up and packed his bags and went to Man City. Like they would officially be like the smallest or the smaller team in Manchester, you know, more so than like they're slowly becoming right now. And I think they couldn't afford to let that happen just on like a pure optics level. And yes, the, the finances of Cristiano Ronaldo, like you could probably read a book on like the economics of Ronaldo and the movement and like tracking all of that throughout his career. But I think just like optically, like you can see it from the moves that they've made this summer. Like they want to get back to being at the peak of the game. And Ronaldo going to Man City was always going to be like, you know, a huge nail in the coffin to those ambitions. Hmm. Fair enough. Um, yeah, no, it's funny. Like I, I went into my, my MCAT test, right? Last Friday, August 27th and went in thinking that Ronaldo is going to Man City and left it, you know, seven and a half hours later with Ronaldo at Manchester United. To Nathan's point, though, about the finances, I think it's, you know, it's just a ridiculous business move. And yes. ridiculous here meaning like a good thing. Uh, it's funny. So obviously Manchester United are a publicly listed company, um, which is like a little weird. But so their stock went from $17.28 on August 26th to $18.29. Um, on August 27th. So Ronaldo's transfer was came like, along what, like with five, a... That's like 5%, right? It's like a, $1 out of 18. Yeah, a little more. It's like a 6% spike and also set the like high point for the stock over the last six months, pretty much. Um, or it, it was its highest price for their stock since April. Um, so... And they also now have the most liked sports-related post on Instagram, and it beat you know the Messi to PSG post. Yeah, which also makes sense because like, Ronaldo is the king of social media. The man has what three hundred thirty million followers on Instagram, and his pull with that is just so huge. He has like six times as many followers as Manchester United, or even more. So. No, I mean, like, to Nathan's point, like, it's always interesting when, like, you bring in someone who's bigger than the brand itself that he's going to, right? And there's yeah, very well, that's, few instances where that, like, can even happen anymore. That's one of the reasons why I'm actually, I like this move because I think he's just going to cause United to implode. I think he is actually going to detract from Ole's project. And frankly, if, if I'm Ole, I would be a little upset because he is not a player who I think makes their squad significantly better. I think he makes their squad a little bit better, but I do think he's a bit of a liability and has the potential to make um, some big locker room disruptions 
in a squad that has already shown a tendency to, I guess, have internal issues. When you think of, you know, players like Pogba, who, despite his start this year, has been a talking point forever, you know, about squad chemistry and whatnot. Also, literally as we speak, uh, Greg Berhalter has sent Weston McKinney home to Italy, um, refusing to let him travel with the squad to Honduras. And in his stead, he is calling up Jackson Ewell. Uh, so that's going back to our earlier topic about Team USA. Uh, kind of a yikes, I would say. Well, yeah. there, there we have it. Ronaldo, he makes his debut this weekend, in theory? In right? theory, yeah. Yep. Against who are they playing? Do, do, do. They are playing Newcastle away. Oh God! No, That's at home. Not... Sorry, Newcastle at home. Well, I'm sure he'll score a penalty in that game. You know, potentially a tap in. He definitely will not be scoring a free kick. Oh, dude. okay. That's the thing. I think they need to take him off free kick duty. Yeah, he is statistically one of the worst free kick takers in the last ten years. Isn't that so, crazy? One of funny. He is statistically one of the worst free. This is not even a joke. One of the worst, or if not the worst, free kick taker in Serie A history. Yeah, because he he doesn't score them, and he takes so many. All of yeah, he takes he so takes many. Them all. Dude, it'd be like if Shaquille O'Neal, if if in basketball you had like a designated like uh, free throw taker, and Shaquille O'Neal was like, I'm taking all of them. That is Ronaldo <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we will see. I think Newcastle are going to be in for a uh, a rough 90 minutes in that one. I do think, I mean, I, I let's be honest. Like, Ronaldo is going to score goals for this United team. It's just whether or not we think, like, the goals balance out with the rest of the, the Ronaldo that comes yeah. with it, you know? Yeah. How many, before we head out, how many goals do we think he scores this year? In the Premier League, in the in the Premier divisions, eighteen. Yeah, I was gonna say nineteen. Oh, I think like eleven. <laughs> no, I don't think. I think. I don't think. I think he's gonna end up scoring like uh, close to twenty goals. Yeah. Well, only one. How, how many? Out. How many do you think Lukaku is gonna score? He's gonna be the goal twenty-two. Yeah, yeah, I think he scores like twenty-two or twenty-three. Twenty-four. Yeah. Okay. So we're we're all in agreement that Lukaku outscores Ronaldo. Yep. Yeah. Um, it is kind of crazy how gutted Syria has been this summer. Um, but that's a different but conversation. But yet it's like still an incredibly engaging league. No, I know. Also, like this transfer window went from being so crap that we actually had to intro our discussion about it with, wow, this transfer window has been crap to seeing Messi and Ronaldo both transferred. Um, you know, And having like the ghost of Kylian Mbappe. <laughs> storyline like whatever that was for oh yeah dude i think the lesson here is that even in its dullest moments soccer is never dull no well that's gonna be us for today jackson yule being called up to the usmnt and you'll be seeing us later that was a good podcast down the road better that was a very nathan yeah it really was oh yeah just thought I would try it on for once. <laughs> <laughs> and it did not feel good. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that has been Corner Kick. You know, we will catch you guys at some point next week discussing, you know, the return of club football. And, you know, we hope this international break resolves with as little conflict as possible. But until then, I'm Nick Vinden. Caleb Rhodes. Nathan Strauss. And we will see you all next time. <laughs>